What a great pleasure it is to welcome Lisa Gibbon, who is the Divisional Executive for Onboarding at Liberty. And uh, Lisa, welcome to you and welcome to What's Next. And uh, it's great to have you guys being involved in this season of What's Next. How are you doing? Yeah, okay, great. Thanks very much. And thanks for the opportunity to be here. Um, other than being a little bit cold, it's a, it's a pretty good day and it's a Friday. So all good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, this freezing weather, hopefully it feels like one of the coldest winters we've ever had. But I guess we, we often say that because we forget uh, the real cold ones, perhaps. But who knows, you know, uh, but hopefully it'll warm up and spring is just around the corner. Um, you know, uh, just talking to Tom uh, in a previous interview, the, the stats are absolutely amazing and the insights that you're gaining are absolutely fascinating. But could you provide us, firstly, with um, an insight into what an underwriter at an insurance company does? And I was trying to figure this out. You know, how do you underwrite someone? How, you know, somebody comes to you and says, I want insurance. I want this. I want that. How do you actually work this out? And what, what does an underwriter actually do? Okay, it's an interesting job. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a lovely job that you, you can't go and study for. It's... Um, you learn on the job. It's an apprenticeship, um, essentially. And what an unwriter does is we, we assess risk. So you apply for life cover or for insurance. And um, my unwriter receives the application. And then they try and see whether you are a risk that falls within what we've priced for or whether you're somebody that requires an extra charge. So our pricing is based on um, a population of people that we've assessed before. And we, the price is based on somebody that represents a standard risk. So this is somebody who's healthy, who um, doesn't participate in any very dangerous activities, um, mm. doesn't spend much time in Afghanistan and, and risky places like that. So it's a standard rates risk. So if you fall outside of the norm, then my guy's job is to price you appropriately so that we can maintain the price and the affordability for everybody. So say, for example... I don't know, you um, You have a, a disease or disorder that um, represents an extra risk. You're not going to live as long potentially as, as other people. Then we might charge you a little bit extra. So we'll increase the premium by 20, 25%, 50%, whatever it is. Um, it's very specific on the risk that the person imposes. So the unwriter's job is to assess risk. And we did do this across a number of areas. So we look at health. We look at finances to make sure people aren't overinsured. Um, we look at participation in hazardous pursuits. So if you do Formula One motor racing, you know, you would represent a much higher risk. Or if you climb Everest on a regular basis, that's a much higher risk. Um, and the other area we look at is, is occupation. So if you are an electrician that works on pylons, you're a huge risk. If you're a bank clerk sitting behind a desk, you are administrative and you represent a low risk. So we take all of that into account, build a little picture of the client and then say, do you fall within what we've priced? If you don't, let's adjust your price. Okay. All right. That makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. But uh, I mean, would you include like uh, sports fans, for example, if you're a Manchester United fan, that's a high <laughs> risk watching your team playing sport. No, I'm kidding. I withdraw that comment about Manchester United fans. <laughs> Liverpool but, maybe. Well, Manchester yeah, well, Liverpool, who knows, you know. Wow. Okay. I see where you're going here. <laughs> but Lisa, is underwriter typically, because you say it's a job that somebody would learn, right? Is, is, would that be somebody like an actuary that would be an underwriter or not? 
No, so so anybody really that has an aptitude for it, it's a it's a nice job, but it's a very detail oriented job. So you need okay. somebody who likes to investigate, likes the detail, likes the nitty gritty, is prepared to go and read up about stuff, is prepared to keep themselves up to date with what's happening in the world. So you need somebody who likes that kind of work. So anybody can become an underwriter with the opportunity and a little bit of training and the right kind of mindset. That's interesting talking about underwriters. Now, unfortunately, and you touched on this, you know, you've got those high risk individuals and unfortunately, you almost certainly deal with many cases where clients do not provide full disclosure or perhaps they might not know if they have a, a, an underlying illness exactly. But why is full disclosure so important in the underwriting process? And I guess you, you touched on a lot of it because there's the risk side of it as well. But it's important to have that full disclosure, isn't it? Yeah, okay, absolutely. So, so full disclosure really gives you peace of mind. You know, if, you, if you've disclosed everything to the insurer that you should, it's almost like a guaranteed claim. So if you've disclosed everything and the unwriter has been able to assess the risk accurately, you know that when you're going to submit your claim, you're not going to have issues. Um, and if you, you know, if, if you think about that, the reason why you take out life insurance cover is so that you can claim. So you, 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 you're paying for your life cover so that when you die, your family is protected or you pay for disability cover so that you can be covered if you lose your job and you can't work. So if you're not disclosing fully and we don't have an opportunity to assess accurately, you may not be able to claim on the policy or you may be able to claim, but your benefits will be adjusted. So it's really important mm. to give us the opportunity to assess as accurately as we possibly can so that you have peace of mind that when it comes to claim stage, you're not going to have any issues. It's going to be plain sailing and you'll be able to claim for that thing that you've paid so much money for over a period of time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, can I give you an example, perhaps? Um, let's say like um, I have taken out life insurance. I'm in my 20s. I don't necessarily uh, skydive. Uh, well, when I, when I did take out my life policy, I had never skydived in my life. Fast track 10 years down the line and we get a group of friends and say, let's do something exciting for my 40th birthday. And it's a once off thing and I skydive and something horrible goes wrong. Would somebody still be covered for something like that? That you might not have disclosed that because you didn't know you were going to skydive in 10 years time. Yeah, okay, and and, and just, just for the record, I'm not saying skydiving is dangerous. I'm just saying it could be any kind of risky uh, sport or, or bungee jumping or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and so what we do is um, we assess risk at a point in time. So ah. the benefit of, of insurance cover is that you, you don't know what's coming down the line. So we all want to live forever and none of us wants to die a horrible or an early death um, by any means, you know, skydiving or anything else. Um, and so you take out life insurance to protect you against the things that you are not aware of. You die too early, you can't look after your family. So, so we take into account what you know at the time of application. So at the time of application, you had no intention of skydiving. And then a couple of years later, you do a once-off okay. and you have a, have a bad accident and, and, and we would pay Okay. All right. Now that makes perfect sense. But, um, um, and, and this is the, the, this is the big one here is that, you know, people need to know that there are legal ramifications if you intentionally are hiding information from an underwriter. So if you know that you're doing this or you're doing that or you have this health issue and you don't say anything about it, 
then it gets a little bit tricky and there are legal ramifications, aren't there? Okay, there aren't actually legal ramifications as such. It's more on a personal basis. So um, when I say legal, if a client non-discloses and we find that out, we don't take legal action against the client at all. Okay. But of course, what it is going to mean is that they may not be able to claim on that policy. So let's say they've been paying premiums for 10 years, but they lied about something that was substantial at the outset, and we don't pay that claim. And we don't provide, we don't give those, those premium backs either. So it becomes a, well, a couple of things. It becomes real waste of money. Um, it means that the event that you try to protect yourself against does not necessarily pay mm. out because we don't pay the claim. Or you insured yourself for 10 million rand, but we would have charged you an extra premium had we known about your health impairment. And so we adjust that retrospectively. Instead of getting your 10 million rand, you now only get 5 million rand, and that doesn't cover your um, your needs at the time. So not legal ramifications, but very definitely personal ramifications. Okay. Now that makes perfect sense. And the, and the end of the story, the moral of the story here is just, just be open and transparent with, uh, with, with the insurance company when you are taking out any kind of policy and just be straightforward. Now, when, uh, when, when there's a claim on a policy, what will be the drawbacks if, for example, a client hasn't fully disclosed relevant information during the underwriting process, and you touched on some of it now that you're saying you, you might not get it, all of it that you were covered for, etc., but there must be other drawbacks as well. Yeah, okay, absolutely. So what we do, um, so when we get a, a new claim, um, particularly if it's an early claim, and so particularly in the first three years, we, we do a, a scan, um, we do a little bit of an investigation, um, we get, you know, medical aid records and we, we, we have a look at that and um, we say it looks like there's non-disclosure or doesn't look like there's non-disclosure. So if it doesn't look like there's any non-disclosure, then the claim just gets processed as, as normal. You're claiming for your heart attack, we assess the heart attack and we assess the risk on, on the, the claim on that basis. But let's say we, we do medical aid record check and at the time of application, you said no to all of our questions. You said you were in perfect health and all of those good things. Um but now it turns out that you actually consulted a cardiologist um, prior to taking out the policy and wow. you were hospitalized for a heart attack, but you didn't tell us that. So now what we do is we say, what would we have done had we known about that information? So we don't reject, we don't cancel the policy immediately. So we have a look at it and we say, let's give the client the benefit of the doubt and let's see what we would have done had we known about that. So let's say it, it was a heart attack, but that heart attack was, say, 10 years before the policy was taken out. Um, and we say we would have loaded your policy, say, 100%. We would have increased the premium by 100% had we known about that. Then we, at that point, um, we, will, we will then change the conditions of the policy. And going forward, you'll pay the extra premium. If you're claiming for that heart attack, though, then we'll say, but you owed us the extra premium over a period of time, we're now going ah. to address that and we're only going to pay you half the amount. Um, it's also important to know that we, so we reconstruct that policy irrespective of what you're claiming for. So say, for example, you're the guy that had the heart attack, but you're actually now claiming for your back disorder. Okay. Yes. Well, which you, which you also didn't disclose. So, no, no, that's probably a poor example. Let's say you disclose the back disorder. Okay, you disclose the back disorder, right. but not the heart attack. So now you're claiming for the back disorder, 
um, we will assess the claim for the back disorder, but in the background then we'll change, we'll, not in the background, but, but what we'll do is we reconstruct and we say your policy will now require an extra premium going forward, but we'll assess the, the risk for the back claim. So, you know, you may, for example, I mean, we, there was that, that um, very interesting um, case in the media a couple of years ago where the client had non-disclosed his diabetes and the insurer, and it was it was poorly controlled, the insurer would not have offered the cover had they known about that at the time. But he non-disclosed it. He then took out the policy and then he was involved in a very unfortunate accident um, and died. And the, yes. the insurer then went back and said, but we're not going to pay this, pay this claim because we wouldn't have offered you the cover at the outset had you um, had you fully disclosed. So that, that's the kind of thing. So he non-disclosed about that diabetes, but we're not paying the claim for the accident. Ah, so the two don't okay. need to be related. So the non-disclosure and the claim don't need to be related. We will still reconstruct the policy based on the non-disclosure, irrespective of what you're claiming for. And that non-disclosure may or may not have an impact on what you're claiming for. Got it. Got it. And also, I guess I, I look at myself and I look at uh, when I go for my annual checkups. Um, if I go to a urologist for my prostate examination or a woman goes for an annual, uh, you know, check for breast cancer, for example, or a gynecologist, it, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It's you going because you need to go for an annual test. So that wouldn't show up as a flag, for example, um, you know, say, well, why did you go and see a urologist when you're claiming for, uh, you know, prostate cancer down the line, for example, that wouldn't be related, Right. No, it wouldn't. Okay, so so um, if it's kind of early in the in the life of the policy, we'll get the yes. urologist reports, and then generally it'll just say the guy's come for his annual screening, everything was okay, but then subsequently you develop prostate cancer, then it's not an issue. Okay, because you're particularly cool. people over, over a certain age, um, yeah. you know, you have to go for mammogram. Uh, so people need to go for colonoscopies. You know, all kinds of based on their family history and the risk that they represent. So those routine examinations aren't an issue. It's useful still to okay. disclose it. We ask the question and it's useful to yes. say, I went for my mammogram, it was clear. Or I went for my urological exam and it was clear. You know? Okay. Yeah. And it's all those precautionary stuff. And I'm, I'm learning so much from this series, you know. Um, are there any areas of uh, the underwriting process where you see a lack of full disclosure um, that is particularly prevalent. I mean, do you, do you see any of that kind of thing happening? Yeah, I look in two areas. One is um, weight and BMI. You know, people will always make themselves a little bit taller and a little bit lighter than what they are. And so instead of having a BMI of 30, the BMI is 28. And non-disclosure in that space is is very prevalent. Um, and unfortunately, it's an, it's an important one because BMI, uh, a raised BMI, um, has such an impact on overall mortality and morbidity. You know, um, a raised BMI has implications for diabetes, for high blood pressure, for cardiovascular disease, cerebral, you know, it's just the list goes on. So non-disclosing height and weight is is kind of relevant, but most insurers will, in fact, check height and weight in any event. So when the client goes for an HIV test or a cotinine test, um, mm. we'll just check height and weight. But we do find that it's often not accurate. So that's the one area. The other areas, you know, things that are sensitive. So, so mental distress, even though it's so prevalent in our society, people are kind of loath to disclose that, particularly if they're talking to an advisor that knows them. They don't want to say, well, I'm busy seeing a psychologist because I'm really struggling with my divorce or, you know, those, those kinds of things. Mm. They, they 
tend not to, um, or they, they may not always disclose it or may not disclose it fully. They kind of downplay it a bit. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling okay, um, just a bit anxious, and it turns out that it's a major depressive disorder for which they've been hospitalized. So, so that's another area. So where it's a sensitive issue, people um, tend not to disclose. What's interesting, though, is ever since cannabis was legalized, people are far more open about their recreational drug habits. I mean, I'm astounded oh, wow. at what people will tell us. They'll go like, yeah, no, I smoke two joints a week, and I tried ecstasy <laughs> when I was in my 20s, and you're thinking, oh, don't tell me this. But, yeah, no, so, so some areas, there's a surprises, surprising amount of disclosure, and in other areas, you expect less disclosure for, for a number of reasons. So, for example, I mean, and, and it's interesting you talk about the mental health um, because, it, you know, Tom, in our previous interview, was just talking about the results of 2022 and how mental health was, you know, w was was quite a big issue amongst South Africans. So if you, for example, go and see a therapist about something, is that something that you should disclose? Does it mean that you have a mental health issue, uh, that you're requiring help on something? Is that something that ultimately you should be disclosing when you taking out a policy? Okay, absolutely. You know, so so um, the question sometimes comes up at how do I know what's relevant? What should I disclose? Yeah. How much do I need to disclose? And the answer is to be safe, disclose everything you can remember. You know? Yeah. And and some, some events legitimately are so long ago. You know, you yeah. had something 15 years ago and people forget about that. Um but yeah, what you can remember, you disclose. And and seeing any kind of therapist, specialist, or um, medical or health practitioner about an issue yeah. must be disclosed. Okay. Even if you forget something. I mean, I sometimes forget what I've had for breakfast. I can't remember like what I did 15 years ago. But I guess there are some big things. I mean, if you had a heart attack 15 years ago, <laughs> it's a heart attack, right? You, you're not going to forget something like that. Exactly. So some disclosure errors can come down to not knowing what needs to be disclosed, right? And we just touched on one of those things. What can clients do to avoid these unintentional errors? And I guess you touched on it. Now, I just disclose everything. Is there any other tips you can give us, Lisa? No, okay, I think it's always important when you're meeting with your advisor for insurance to actually prepare yourself, you know, to think a little bit about um, what has my health been like over over my lifetime? What are the, the key things that, that have happened that I can remember? Um, things like what medication am I on at the moment? You know, some people take medication for a long time and they almost are so part of their routine. They almost forget yes. that they're taking that, I don't know, lipo whatever thing for their for their raised cholesterol i mean you would expect them to remember but so so if people prepare themselves beforehand it's you know it's it's a serious thing taking out insurance and it is so very very important um and so i think it's it's worthwhile taking the time just to think about your health so that when you're meeting the the advisor you can say look these are the key things that have happened to me um over the last period of time um and these are the things that I, I tend to suffer from. These are the symptoms that I've had, the names of the doctors. Maybe go through your medical aid records and just check what you've got there and have the details of the medications that you're taking handy. It just makes the process so much smoother. And both the client and the advisor then have the peace of mind that to the very best of their ability, they have mm. between them disclosed everything that's necessary to, to, make, the, um, you know, to, to make the contract valid. 
Right. And Lisa, let me ask you this. I mean, if let's say someone's in their 20s or early 30s and, you know, they never had any of these issues, but then, you know, 10 years down the line, you you know, you discover you have heart stuff or, you know, you're on uh, um, medication for something. Do you, do you have to then disclose that later on in life to your insurer? Let's say I've taken out the policy. They've checked me out. I'm all fine. But, you know, you know life happens and things happen and you try different things and you... Uh, you know, you have different health challenges later on in life. It, you know, what you had it in your 30s or in your 40s are very different. So what happens if you've already got a policy and you were healthy at the time and you develop this stuff later on? There's no need to disclose to your insurer at a later stage if your health changes. I mean, obviously, you okay. need to look at, at the contract. and Not all, all contracts are the same, but generally for long-term insurance and for most of the key players in the market, if there's a change in your health, you needn't advise us. There are some notifiable conditions that the insurer generally may have, and that would be if um, for occupational disability. So if you have own occupational disability as a benefit and you are uh, an actuary and you've been assessed at a at a um, class one, which is the cheapest mm. occupational class, um, and you then become, I don't know, a pole dancer, um, you need to notify yes. us that you're now a pole dancer and not an actuary because a pole dancer represents different risks to an yeah. actuary. So okay. that, that is a notifiable condition. Some insurers have smoking as a notifiable condition. So if you had non-smoker rates and you start smoking, you need to advise the insurer. We don't. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think it's just important to check your, your policy conditions and to check with your advisor to say, are there notifiable conditions? Some insurers also ask you to advise them if they um, if, if you start participating in a hazardous pursuit. So you were never a pilot, but then five years down the line, you decide to become a private pilot and get your license and spend a fortune doing that. Um, some insurers will ask you to notify. So it's, it's good just to check what you need to notify. But generally for health, not, not, a, not a problem. You don't have to Those pursuits are interesting because, you know, sometimes you get people late in life, they want to start, you know, doing mountain climbing, for example, and, you know, they, they, they want to do the peaks, the big peaks of the world. I think that's obviously because the risk then changes completely, doesn't it? Significantly, yes. Yeah. Fantastic, Lisa. Thank you so very much for joining us on What's Next. Um, I, I must say, I'm, I'm learning so much about insurance and, and, and all of these things uh, that we spoke about today. Uh, Lisa Gibbon, who's the Divisional Executive for Onboarding at Liberty. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on What's Next. Thanks very much, Aki. It's been my pleasure. Cheers.